0: Well, good morning, Anthem. Good to have you guys with us this morning. Uh they'll bring up the lights. You guys can open your Bibles to the Book of Acts. It's the the book we've been studying all semester long. We're about to finish this up, Christmas week, and then in the new year, we're gonna go into the book of Philippians. But excited. If you don't have a Bible, we've got paperbacks over there. We've got a Bible reading plan for the year. So we'd love to give you the plan and a Bible if you need one. But Acts is where we're going to be today, and it's describing the Acts of the Apostles. This is after Jesus resurrected up into heaven. Uh, He tells them, wait for the Holy Spirit. God's going to do some amazing things uh, through you all. And so we've been following them along, and and one that we've been predominantly following is this Paul, uh, who's a missionary church planter who God is really working through. Uh, and if you were with us prior to this, we saw that he stood trial. He was wrongly accused by all these groups despite the the bogus accusations. They put him in chains and they are making him uh, go to Rome to stand trial before Caesar. So that's where we're at. The only problem is is that he needs to get to Rome from Jerusalem, and it's going to be quite the voyage. In fact, this particular journey was perhaps the most prolonged, intense, unrelenting challenge that Paul had endured up to this point. He started off with fatigue from the imprisonment and the trials, and then he gets on a boat that that is tossed around by these storms, wind, and waves. There are sword-bearing soldiers that want to kill him. And then after all of that, we're going to see in Acts 28, he finally gets through the storm only to have poisonous snakes. Uh, And so it's crazy, but nevertheless, throughout the whole thing, Paul is calm, courageous. He's confident. And despite being a a tent maker by trade, a missionary by calling, and a prisoner by providence, God is going to have Paul, this prisoner, end up commanding not only the, the ship captain, but the centurion, and everybody's going to be looking to him. And so today's text, we're going to see what God can do through ordinary people filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to be in Acts 27. Hopefully you had time to open up there. Acts 27, we're going to start in verse 1. It says this, And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some of the prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking on the ship of Adderinim, It was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia. We put to sea, accompanied uh, by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put to Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly, giving him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. So time out there. One of the things, so we see that, that Paul is on this journey, but he's got two friends that are accompanying him on the journey. Aristarchus, as well as our author here, Luke. So, what prisoner gets to say, "Yeah, I'll, I'll be in chains, but can I have a couple friends to go with me?" And what kind of friends are like, "Yeah, that's the road trip we want to join in on, uh, right?" Like, there's better places, but they're they're like, "We'll we'll go with you." And so, and then the other thing that we have here is is Julius, the centurion, given. Paul, some preferential treatment. Usually when you're a prisoner, you don't have uh, special accommodations made for you. But we see that, that Julius had treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends when he gets to these locations, and they would care for his needs. Again, likely because Julius, as well as Festus, know that while Paul is getting sent to Rome, pretty innocent dude. Uh, In fact, they couldn't find anything wrong with him. And so perhaps this is a nod to to give him some preferential treatment, knowing that he was going to be declared innocent, that they didn't want to treat him too harshly. So they give him special privileges. But again, these two friends who volunteered uh, for this trip, to to put themselves on a ship, and again, this isn't like they're like, hey, is there a, a, a cruise ship like heading where Paul? You know, just don't eat the buffet because you're a prisoner, and you can go. No, this is a, a a group of people, and they're transporting a group of prisoners to all go back to Rome together. And so they're in kind of the mix of those things. Um, it reminds me of First John three sixteen says this, and it'll be on the screen. It's outside of our text, but First John 3.16 says this, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, speaking of Jesus, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Believe these two guys, these friends of Paul, understand that Jesus laid down his life for their life, and so they lay down their lives. They don't know what this is going to entail, but they lay down their life and say, man, Is Jesus has laid down his life for us. We're going to lay it down for Paul, and they Paul has these guys as friends. What a privilege to have these guys on your side. Now the other characters that are in this, we see other prisoners are placed in charge of Julius. Now Julius is a centurion of the Augustus band, is what it says there in the text. Now a centurion commands a hundred people. That's how many people they are over, and so Julius is the commander of a hundred of these. Roman troops, and they're of a special group, Augustus Band. That's the title for the emperor of Rome. And the Augustus Band would have been special troops to carry out special projects on behalf of the emperor, the leaders of Rome. And, and so you can't think like Navy SEALs, like those kind of special projects. Okay, any Navy SEALs, not trying to offend anybody here. But like those are people are like front lines, they're out there, they're going to they get it done. The Augustus Band would be more like CIA or FBI, they would have specialized in uh, in just kind of knowing what's going on. They would have been out amongst the Roman Empire, responsible for spying on kind of what's happening in these territories. They're uh, transporting political prisoners. The kings, the, the governors that Rome had appointed, they're just a mess, a hot mess. Last time we studied it, we see one of them sleeping with his sister. I mean, it's just... There, you, there's no moral compass with those kind of political leaders. I'm trying not to make a joke, uh, but, but that was what was going on there. Uh, but these guys, these guys were known for having impeccable character. In fact, it was in Luke 7 that Jesus uh, was, came into contact with a centurion who had a servant that was sick, if you remember this story. And, the, and Jesus was like, well, I can go heal your servant, to which this centurion Said, hey, you don't need to go. You have authority. You can just speak it into action. And it says that Jesus was amazed at the, the faith of this centurion. Again, these guys got it. In Acts 10, too, we see that one of the centurions is a devout man who feared God with his whole household, prayed continually. And God sent Peter to that centurion in his household to proclaim the gospel. It was Acts 22, when they're about to whip Paul, all these soldiers, that a centurion is there. And Paul, and, and Paul says to the centurion, hey, is it legal for you all to do this? And it's the centurion that stops it, right? So these guys have it all together. They're, by worldly standards, they're kind of the, the cream of the crop. And they're dependent on Yet we're going to see as the narrative goes on, even this centurion in time is ultimately looking to a prisoner for leadership. In verse 9, we're going to continue our narrative. So here's a, here's a map that's kind of going to go up. And, and uh, Grant, if you got that map, could you throw that map up? So just so you understand where we're at, they left Jerusalem. They kind of sailed along a little bit. And uh, now they're in that island of Crete, so where it says Mediterranean Sea. The, the cities that were kind of listed, they're just sailing along Crete, trying to find a spot. And, and so they go to several of these places. Julius lets Paul off. His friends kind of care for him. And they're just sailing along Crete. And here's where we're at in, in verse 9. So much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even after the fast was already over. And Paul advised them saying, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only to the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both the southwest and the northwest, and spend the winter there. And so again, with the map up, all they're trying to do at this point is they're on the island of Crete. They're trying to get to Rome that's clear up in the corner and it's getting pretty bad. The weather's changing. It's not suitable for sailing. So all they're trying to do is creep along the coast of Crete and find a better harbor to park their boat for the wintertime and let everything kind of shift. And, and Paul's like, I don't think we should even do that. And the ship owner and the ship captain said, we can do that. We'll just creep along. And we're only going 20 or 30 miles to this harbor. And they're saying, we we can do that. And so the centurion, here's Paul, a tent maker, saying, no, we shouldn't sail. And the ship owner and the captain being like, we're good. Understandably, the centurion's like, okay, like, let's do it. (laughs) Bad choice. Verse 13. Now, when they sailed, again, you can kind of see the map. Now, when they uh, south wind, gently blew, supposing they had obtained the purpose, that would have kept them against the land. They weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon, a tempest wind, called the northeasterner, struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven Along. Again, you understand what I'm saying. They're trying to stay close in that from the land, this wind comes, and they're trying to, like, stay into it, but they can't anymore, and they're like, fine, and they just turn, and they let the wind blow them. Supposed to be going 20 to 30 miles along the coast, now they're going to get blown out in the open sea. And I love how whoever made this map, they're like, I don't know. They just went this way, and they just squiggled along a storm. And instead of going 20, 30 miles, they're going to go over 1,000 miles in the open sea. Huge, unrelenting waves crashing back and forth, lightning, thunder. Think of everything like storm-related, and it says this in verse 18. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they begin the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. It reminds me of the book of Jonah when they're, 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 they're weighed down and they're like, let's just get rid of this stuff. Why? We don't need it because we're gonna if we die, what good is the cargo? So they start throwing the cargo in order to lighten the ship and, and help it rise up a little bit. And in fact, the tackle there, from my Understanding of that. That's not like just fishing tackle sort of stuff, but it was just all the things that were on the ship be it beds and trunks and furniture. They're doing everything they can to just throw that overboard. Perhaps even the sail. They're like, forget it. We're just going to be blown by the wind. And so they throw all that cargo, all that stuff over. Just question can you imagine the beating? 24, 48, 72 hours. And again, I know we don't have a a parameter for this because we live in the Midwest. And uh, not a whole lot of us are expert sailors and been in in that. But we do have tornadoes, right? You know, tornadoes. Even the worst tornado, and they're scary, don't get me wrong. Even the worst tornado, you head down to the basement for what? Half hour, hour? Maybe you're like, oh, we better spend the night down here. I don't know anybody that spent 15 days in the basement because of a tornado. Fair? (laughs) And even a tornado, like, your house typically isn't shaking the whole time. But being on a boat, being tossed back and forth in the wind, just crashing around, 24 hours, 48, 72, how long before you would mentally break? And I'm telling you, for me, it's not measured in days, it's probably, maybe hours, probably minutes. (laughs) We're like, done, all done, that's the universal sign, like, we're, can't do it, Uh, And here's the thing, they're they're forgetting to eat. It's so bad. They're just hanging on, trying to survive. They forget to eat. I don't know how you sleep amongst that, unless you're Jesus, right? Like who he slept through a storm, but everybody else is just rolling around, getting pummeled by this thing. It says this in verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, Again, another translation there could be almost like typhoon, these huge waves. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. They're doing things. They're trying to, to save their lives, but it says in verse 20, they get to a spot where they're like, we give up? There's no hope that we're going to make it out this. And you understand, at the beginning, they said, oh, we can use our wits. We can navigate this situation We'll use our strength. We'll throw the cargo out. We'll do these things. But when they tried by their own wits and their own strength, eventually they got to a spot where all hope is abandoned. And they embraced that they're just going to die in the storm. What's the teaching point for us? Perhaps, have you gotten to a spot before where all hope is lost? we are like, I just give up. I don't know what to do. Maybe it's in relationships with other individuals where you're like, I try to be nice, I try to be firm, I try to do this, I try to do that. I give up. I got nothing. Maybe that's in relationship with spouse, parenting a kid, something like that. have been to that spot relationally. Maybe it's something circumstantially, be it infertility. Something that you don't have control over, but maybe you're like, okay, maybe we can try this, use our strength here, use our wits, do this stuff. You get to a spot where you just, you want it so bad, but it hasn't come together. Maybe it's with addictions. You, you, I've tried this, I'm, I'm doing these things, and those can't be beaten. And, and it seems like oftentimes you get to that spot where all hope is lost. You're like, I don't, I don't know. And for me, really, the one that, that God's been working on me this year is just the relational one. I get to that situation, and I'm like, well, maybe I try this and do that. And oftentimes, all my efforts on trying to, to make that relationship kind of happen ends up breaking it worse. And finally, you get to that spot, at least for me, where you're like, God, I've tried this. I've tried this timeline, this conversation, this thing. I give up. I give up. You do it. Like, I can't do it. I give up. You ever said that? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'd qualify that as like a prayer, but it certainly is like a, a crying out to the Lord We're like, I give up, it's yours. <laughs> and I'm studying this out and it's like the irony, is like, really? Like, why not start with that posture? Like, that could be an option. And, and God's just been working that on my heart because oftentimes when we get to that spot, what we're, we're doing is we're letting go of our expectations, we're letting go and we're giving that circumstance to God. And even in that frustration, like, fine, God, you do it. Even with that kind of heart, oftentimes God floods in a level of peace. (laughs) The things that you've been wanting and you think, if I could just do this, that you would get from managing that circumstance, oftentimes when you finally give it up, everything you were hoping that that thing would do, God just does in and of himself. He brings the love, the joy, the peace, the hope. And again, it's not to say that, that maybe upon letting it go that God might just bring that back and answer that prayer. He may, he may not. Matt, when we were studying this out, said, it's kind of this phrase. Often we find God when we come to the end of ourselves. When we finally just surrender control. And sometimes it takes days or weeks or, or months of getting beat on but oftentimes we get to that spot. Some of us are a little bit thicker headed than others, but nonetheless, inevitably we get to that spot where we surrender control. And the thing that God's work is like, why wouldn't I just start there? I want to start with that posture of God, your will be done. This is frustrating. I don't understand it. I'm gonna hit my knees and pray and ask God to come into this situation. But for Paul, I believe Paul the whole time. And we're going to see that he is calm, he's courageous, he's confident. He's been surrendered (laughs) since the road to Damascus. He's like, "What? (laughs) I'll take whatever. For Paul, this ends the same way, no matter what. If the ship goes down, he's going to die and stand before God, proclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. If the ship doesn't go down, he goes to Rome and he stands before them and says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of my." This ends the same way for Paul. It's just where he's going to say holy, holy, right? But he's, he's surrendered. And because of that, there's this, this, this peace about him that comes through. In verse 21, we're going to see that the thing that Paul's holding tight is to the Lord. and He says in verse 21, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men. I do like this part. <laughs> I like it all, but this part, get this. Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred injury and loss. I don't know what his tone is, but, but he starts it off by like, you should have listened. Uh, love that. Um, and so he points that out, but then he's gonna go and bring some encouragement here. He says, yet now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God, to whom I belong, to whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul, for you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God, that it will be exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on some island. God is just renewing the promise. He promised to Paul already that he would stand trial. And he's reminding him of the promise despite the storm. And Paul tells him, this is going to work out. There will be loss. It's just the ship. We're all going to survive. But we got to run aground on some island. We see as the narrative continues, they're like, oh, okay. And some sailors are like pretending to lower an anchor, but they're lowering the lifeboat. They're like, we out. (laughs) And Paul's like, listen. And this is where he starts commanding. he's like, Listen, if they set that boat in the water, promise off. And so the soldiers, they went and they cut the ropes and the lifeboat goes out. That would have been helpful, but you wrecked it, okay? So, So the boat's out. They're trusting God via Paul at his word. And it was at about dawn, it says in verse 33, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying today is the 14th day. And you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he said these things, he took bread, giving thanks to God in the presence of all. He broke it and began to eat it. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were In all, 276 persons in the ship. And when they'd eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. You see, the language there is so reminiscent of the Last Supper. When Jesus, in the presence of the disciples, take the bread, broke it, gave it to disciples, and said, do this in remembrance of me. Really have to believe in this moment, as people are looking to Paul, that Paul is pointing them to Jesus and leading them through communion. He's like, you know what? This bread reminds me of somebody whose body was broken. And the fact that he distributes the bread in that way, and and I gotta believe that this guy is testifying to Jesus amongst, despite the wind, the waves, the storm, the darkness, all that. He's keeping his eyes fixed on Jesus and he's helping them fix their eyes on Jesus. And and I really do believe that these guys are trusting God at some level because it says here, That they were encouraged. They ate food. And I don't believe it's necessarily saving faith for them, but there's some faith they're putting in God because why? After they'd eaten enough, they lighten the ship by again throwing the rest of this food, this wheat, into the sea, believing that that God was going to save them and he was going to provide. They didn't need to keep any more because God was going to provide. And so they trust God, and sure enough, at daybreak they see it. They see this island, they see this land and they're like we're saved. This is a day of salvation. But the soldiers had a little bit of a different plan. Land is spotted. Again, can we throw the map up again, Grant, one more time? Sorry to keep going back to this. You have to understand how stinking ridiculous this is, right? They're supposed to be sailing along Crete. They're blown into the middle of the ocean. Malta, you can see it in the bottom left corner, barely. <laughs> the words are bigger than the island. This is out in the sea, and so the fact that coincidentally, with a capital G, God just moves the ship and it's like, okay, here, and lets them hit that little speck of an island. Again, they'd thrown out the sail. They stopped steering this thing days ago. But God, in his graciousness, provides this little, little island to, to, to let this ship hit in the middle of the sea and provide and save them. And they see it as the, the dawn breaks and they see this island And it says in verse 42, the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. (laughs) This day of salvation for the soldiers, they're saying it's going to be a day of death for everybody else. All these prisoners, we're going to kill them. Why? We don't want any of them to swim away and escape. You have to understand that Roman military, these guys don't mess around, and so if you're a soldier and your prisoners get away from some level of negligence or or, or mishandling on your part, you take their punishment. So this is serious, and again, though, I don't believe from the study that they would have um, had a law that kind of would have backed... This, like just stab them, run them all through. But perhaps uh, they said, it's pretty unheard of circumstances, so we'll just do this anyway. But contrary to all humanity, justice, and laws, the day of their salvation would be the day of death for these prisoners. And it's remarkable proof that people can be cruel even when experiencing the tender mercy of God. They're saying, man, thank God he saved us. He's forgiven us. He, he's provided for us. And we like that. <laughs> like, fill my cup up. Would you want to take care and bless? And, and No. I, I love being blessed. I love God's mercy. I love God's love, but I don't want to show that to others. And it's just remarkable proof that we love God blessing us, but in terms of blessing others, and this sailor's heart, I believe, dwells within us still that we have some of this and you've seen it throughout this year. It's been a pretty polarizing year, but you see this heart where, where people love mercy, they love grace, but the inability to show it. And I want to offend everybody here. So let me do two different illustrations. I think one is with the, the rioting and the looting that was taking place, by no means can condone those illegal actions and, and that sentiment. It was so wrong but I think the, the, the heart that it brought out in some was to this, oh, I hope. I hope they show up at my door. I would enact justice. And perhaps even beginning to think and fantasize on what it would be like to enact justice. All while denying the God's mercy and grace that he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, but if their sins show up. Or you have this compassionate side that that, that said, man, we're going to need to do everything uh, with the pandemic, take all the precautions. And again, I'm not saying one thing or another. I'm I'm trying to get to the heart. We're saying lives are so important. Oh, Donald Trump's got COVID? I hope he dies. This sailor's heart that exists in us where we love mercy, we love God's grace, we are so grateful that he does not treat us as our sins deserve. But in terms of those that that we would deem to be enemies, forget them, kill them. That is not the Savior's heart, that's a sailor's heart. And by God's grace, our Savior does not treat us like that. But here's the thing. This isn't something like to be worked on. This is a huge impasse. It's contradictory to the gospel. We would see this in First John. It says, if anyone says, and this will be on the screen. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This isn't one of those things where we get to pick and choose who we love. If we're manifesting the love of God, God loved us unconditionally, therefore implicit in those that say, I know that love, we must love others in that same way. To do so is a denouncement of the gospel. We're denying the gospel and the truth of it by our actions. And so if that heart exists, as I know it does in me, where I love God's love and I love God's mercy to me. Man, if that is there and that, that sailor's kind of mentality and heart is coming through, it's to be repented of because it's in contradiction to the gospel. And I would love to have that conversation. If, wherever you're at on that, help me understand. But the, the call for the Christian life is to, to follow Jesus in that. And again, it's not excusing the wrongs that are done by either of the camps, but the heart is merely what I'm wanting to expose. What is the heart of the Savior? These soldiers certainly don't have that, but thank God again for the centurion. Where he might have made a wrong call not listening to Paul with the whole sailing thing, but in verse 43, but the centurion wishing to save Paul. <laughs> There's more prisoners, but let's be clear. He's like, Paul, I want to save this guy. This, sorry, this is just an epiphany even in reading that, just the, the teachable moment that Paul is telling them that that because they were with him, that, that God was going to save all of them. And even Paul's righteousness here ultimately seems like it, it is beneficial to all the other prisoners because the centurion cuts off the plan and he doesn't let them kill the prisoners, namely because Paul... And so he they don't carry out the plan. He ordered them instead, those who could swim, jump overboard first, make for the land. And the rest of you, planks and pieces of the ship. As this thing breaks apart, just grab hold and let it wash you ashore. And so they were all brought safely to land. And somebody are like, oh, finally, like, they made it. This is great. And I know some of you perhaps are thinking, it's like, man, this has been an incredibly tough season. If I can just make it through this season, then I will, let me just tell you, it's false hope. You're like, well, that's not very nice or encouraging. Come on now. How many times do you believe it? If I can just get through this season, the next season. The, the, the most unloving thing I can do is let you believe that lie, that it's going to be better tomorrow. There will come a day when the suffering will end. There is just no guarantee it's in this lifetime. That's the reality. Tomorrow could be better or worse. I don't know. We can't choose our circumstances. We can choose our response, but we can't choose our circumstance. And so I think it's unloving to just pander people and be like, oh, it'll it'll be okay. It'll all work out. No, it'll be what God wills it to be. And you see that in the text because it's like get done with a ship. He's like finally, and then we pick up the narrative. It's like oh yeah, only for poisonous vipers. It's like <laughs> come on, man, no break. But that's the life of Paul. Where again, it's like oh, I imagined like one of his traveling partners. Like it's gonna be all right now. We made it, and it's like mm, it'll be what God would will it to be. And what's God will? Chapter twenty-eight. They're brought safely through we learned the island was called Malta, and the native people showed us unusual kindness. They kindled the fire and welcomed us all. And because it had begun to rain, it was cold. Now, how big a fire for 276 people, right? So they got some work to do. So when Paul, again, he's a prisoner, perhaps still chained up. Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, put them on the fire. A viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Come on. Can you get the scene, right? They're, they're making a fire. The fire's going. It's growing. Somewhere this snake was like freezing its tail off, and it's just hanging out in there. It starts to get a little uncomfortably warm, and the snake's like, oh, I better get out of here. But instead of just like slithering out, it's like I'm coming out with aggression, and Paul's putting sticks on the fire, and the viper jumps out and latches on to Paul's hand. Hmm. When the native people, verse 4, saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. It's fun. Isn't scripture amazing? Okay, verse 5. He, Paul, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up and suddenly fall down dead. But then when they had waited for a long time and saw no misfortune to come, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. <laughs> I love how fickle we are, right? It's like he's a murderer. He's a god. <laughs> like there's an understandably. I mean, this has got to be just this crazy. But I hope you don't even miss it. How, where do you have to be in your security with the Lord to, to respond like Paul did? To literally have a viper latch on your hand, see it. And again, it doesn't, it, I don't imagine like he like was all uh, freak out about it or anything like that, but he just takes it and shakes it off into the fire, <laughs> burning the snake up. How secure do you have to be? And again, like the storm, Paul doesn't try and take control or he, de- he doesn't just go to a corner and just pout and die. He did not take control like, oh, we got to suck this out, get up his snake ID book. And like, what kind of viper was that? He just gives it, just shakes it off. I imagine he's just collecting more wood. They're like watching him as he's like collecting wood. He's giving it to the Lord. He's, wa- it's open-handed. God's will be done. Circumstances, isn't it crazy, don't you? It just shakes it off. Again, it, I hope it's not too much of a stretch, but we have to recognize the serpent is still coming at us today in the form of Satan. He's still at work, biting, and has been since the beginning of time. That's the promise in Genesis 3. He's going to strike at the heel. First Peter, this will be on the screen, First Peter 5.8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, like a serpent. And I just don't think it's coincidental that that Jesus was out fasting for 40 days in the wilderness, and it was at the end of that time that Satan appeared. That Paul has been at sea for weeks throughout the storm, and here comes another thing. You think Satan isn't hard at work right now trying to divide churches? to break relationships, to break marriages. And He is at work, and, and Scripture warns us, be sober-minded, sober-minded. Not telling yourself stories and getting all worked up, but just be, be sober-minded, watch out. He's doing what he does, trying to seek and destroy. But yet, the promise of Genesis 3 is there's going to be one that would come and crush his head, Jesus Christ. And Paul, with that snake hanging from his hand, throws it back in, suffers no harm because he worships the one who crushes serpents, the serpent. And he's holding, I believe, fast to the promise that God said, you're going to appeal in Rome. And so he's clinging to the promises of God. No matter what's trying to cling to him, he's clinging to God. He's like, whips it off. And God lets him live. And so Paul goes on with his life, and he wastes no time, Again, he's singular focus. He goes waste wastes no time just continuing to proclaim, continuing to testify. In fact, the chief man of this island, Publius, his father's sick. And so Paul goes and he, by God's grace, heals him. And they see that and they start bringing all the people out from the rest of the island who had disease. And they came and in verse nine it says they were cured. Paul just testifies what God has done, he said. God is healing; He's bringing healing, and through the Holy Spirit, He's doing these things. He goes to Rome, and he just keeps testifying, despite being a prisoner. He proclaims, "This is the first group of Jews who haven't tried to kill him," and he's testifying. And it says in verse twenty-four of chapter twenty-eight, and some were convinced by what he said. Yeah, others disbelieved, but some were convinced, and and for two years, he proclaimed the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. From Rome is where he would write the prison epistles, a number of these churches, uh, letters to churches. He's just going to testify, keep testifying. Acts, it started, this whole book started with the promise from Jesus that the Holy Spirit would come for those that repent of their sins, they would receive forgiveness, and they would receive the Holy Spirit, and it's through the Holy Spirit that these miraculous things would happen and that the the gospel would be proclaimed in in Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. I was talking with my brother-in-law about this last night, and he's like, we call it the Acts of the Apostles, but really it should just be called Acts of the Holy Spirit because God's the main character in the book of Acts. And we just follow how the Holy Spirit's working through individuals. It's not by their power, but by the power of God through the Holy Spirit. And we see and we know from Ephesians that that same Holy Spirit is is given to us upon salvation. That we've been sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. That we can live and testify through his power. I just want to invite, we're going to do communion as, as we end service. Invite the band up. But this idea that Jesus, his body was broken, his blood was shed, so that we could be forgiven. And that's the cup that's on your your chair, the the bread is on the top, and then, uh, of course, representing the the body of Jesus, and the cup representing the blood. But this idea that, from Scripture, that we can not only be forgiven by our Savior, but that God would send his Holy Spirit to live within us. And so, therefore, it's in light of these truths that, that, yes, we can shake off the serpent, because we know Jesus ultimately defeated sin and death by what he accomplished on the cross. And it's because of that, we don't have a heart of a sailor, but rather the heart of the Savior. And with gratitude, we can walk by the same power of the Holy Spirit that filled these individuals in Scripture, that that same power is given to us to live. And so as you take communion today, I just want to just prayerfully lead into it. We remember not only the forgiveness that God offers, but the strength that is there. And perhaps if there's things, Anthem, that you're still clinging to, that you're still trying to manage by your wit and your own strength, would today be a day where you just surrender that? That you would open up and say, God, not my will, your will. And we can trust God with that and open up because he sent his son, Jesus, and that's the greatest gift that he could give. And so we can trust God in those circumstances, whether he's going to restore those things or give them to us or not. We have all we need in Jesus. And so that's where we're going to sing this song, and what a communion song is, it's just give me Jesus. And so let that be your prayer and your response as we take communion together. And again, if you don't know Jesus, we just want to invite, there was a, a young man in the first service that, Said today is I want to trust Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. Would you first and foremost do that? The communion is a sign but if you have not surrendered to Jesus and you've been trying to do this, do this, do this and then add Jesus on it, no, first and foremost would you surrender? And you surrender by saying, God, I, I've sinned, I've done wrong, please forgive me. I invite you into my life for the forgiveness of my sins and to be Lord of it all. Would you pray that prayer in this time and surrender to Jesus? Heavenly Father, we do. We thank you for your goodness to us as displayed through your son. And Lord, we wanna remember that not only are we forgiven, but we've been given the power to not be driven by the flesh, but to walk in accordance to the spirit. So God, we thank you for what you've accomplished on the cross what you've accomplished through the resurrection and what you're doing by sending your spirit. Lord, would you help us meditate on those things? If there's things that we need to surrender, would you help identify? God, would you continue to do a work in us first and foremost? And that's our prayer. That's my prayer from from my heart. God, thank you for your word and the promises that that are found within it. We just wanna cling to those this morning. Amen.